Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show. We've got a great guest this week. It's balloons, more balloons, and Chinese spying. Why are we seeing so many at high altitude? With the shoot down of that Chinese surveillance balloon that collected on multiple U.S. high value targets as it traversed the country, it seemed like all of a sudden more high altitude unknown objects started to appear, and those some of those were shot down. What's going on here? Well, civilized countries, we've been flying high-altitude weather balloons and other devices for decades. So why does it seem like we're now seeing more of these high-altitude platforms, or HAPs, as I've learned they're called? And they have different capabilities. To help answer these questions, my guest this week is Mr. Mark Bayless. He's a member of the Federal Communications Commission's Technology Advisory Council, or FCC TAC, and founder of and president of Visual Link a company that's a leader in developing and deploying advanced internet services. As a member of the FCC TAC, he helps the FCC identify important areas of innovation and develop informed technology policies supporting America's competitiveness and job creation in the global economy. Uh, Mr. Bayless, welcome to the Rob Mana Show, sir. Hello, Rob. Glad, yeah, I, glad appreciate, I appreciate you joining us. You know, I get questions every day. Uh, I have about a half a million followers on social different social media platforms and as a as one of their go-to national security people since I'm a retired colonel I get asked all the time what is going on with all these balloons all of a sudden and really I was a, I was a bit surprised too but really when I started looking at it it looked like uh, to me that it was because the focus was now on it because you can actually research the flight plans on these things and oh, go yeah. back multiple decades on, and you know where they're at right mm -hmm. correct yeah there's every all the major launches that have been sent in the stratosphere from 1947 their flight plans logs everything are online and and some of these objects up there are quite big yeah uh, and quite quite big i mean we've um we've had i think the largest one that was launched in the last two years was 1.2 tons the payload size Mm -hmm. And so that, that's a large object. <laughs> that, that is a very large object. Uh, uh, but before we dive too deep into those HAPs, uh, can you just tell the crowd, uh, since some may not be familiar with the FCC uh, uh, Technology Advisory Council, what, what do you all do? We look at cutting edge technology, new things that are coming out. Uh, and then we try to identify which ones of these new cutting edge technologies will have the greatest effect um, on both the U.S. economy uh, and we want the and those that we identify. We want to make sure the U.S. has a leadership position. So we work on uh, coming up with suggestions for policy changes or uh, ways that these technologies can be uh, used uh, or better implemented. And so we work on our policies and our decisions. We've we've done fairly well. Um, I've been at the TAC now. You get reappointed every two years. Uh, okay. I've been reappointed now since 2010. So I've been through three presidential administrations. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, President Obama signed my retirement uh, papers and I, <laughs> and I had been through uh, presidents since uh, Jimmy Carter. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, little bits of changes, but, it, you know, our mission stays the same. Um, exactly, exactly. So, 
So your company, you founded your company like 30 years ago. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm making a big presumption that you're on this council or asked to be on this council because of your expertise in emerging technologies, especially focused on internet access. Is that, is that an uh, accurate assumption or? Uh, accurate assumption. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all supposedly leaders in our field, right. <laughs> you know, um, uh, and mine is internet and uh, internet policy, and uh, I've got a good background, and I'm, I'm a well-rounded background, so I fit in. I'm sort yeah. of the, I'm sort of the the, uh, the person who's not quite the expert in everything, mm -hmm. but the people who are on there who are very focused experts in one piece. I'm the connector in between okay oh that's well connectors are important that's one of the things that i do uh these days and did in the military too quite frankly yeah the uh now i have to ask this mark and uh uh especially with today's cultural societal environment but uh you know i would be if i if i th i think if i were on the tack uh, it, it would be very non-political is what my my presumption is uh, you don't have any issue you guys don't don't deal with that kind of stuff. Do you just focus really on technology we, we are, and policy? The, the only time that we've run into anything that became rather um, political uh, was net neutrality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, that was, <laughs> that became, but, but we're, we're neutral. At, we're completely neutral. Technology is technology. It, it, you know, exactly. You know, Te technology is technology. I mean, you can't, Put societal and cultural stuff. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you you probably could these days with some of the yeah. advan uh, uh, you know AI <laughs> that kind of thing, but yeah, it's well, not going to make the, it work better. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the I'm on the AI committee as well. Oh, so. <laughs> that's a whole other show. I'll have to get you back on that because this yeah. Chat G GPT yeah. thing that that I keep hearing yeah. about is has got me uh, got me curious. So I call them hats, high altitude platform. Uh, I've done in my research for the show, I've seen high altitude platform systems. Uh, so, so why is the attack involved with balloons? I guess this well, is the first question I'd like to see. <laughs> well, the big thing that we were looking at is the high altitude platforms have always had promise, uh, since Rand corporation did a study, uh, in a golf war yeah, about the use of high altitude platforms for, uh, communications and theater of warfare. Um, low latency, only 12 miles up in altitude, quick deployment. Uh, it made made ideal communications platforms. Um, and a lot cheaper than satellites. And the latency is better. And you, if you wanted to do a, a low Earth satellite that would have uh, the ability for handheld devices in field to communicate, mm -hmm. um, it would have to be in just at the edge of the stratosphere or, or the metasphere. Yeah not stress, metasphere, and um, basically dragging the outer part of the atmosphere. So it's, uh, the problem is in order to stay at that altitude, you have to be at 24,000 miles per hour, which means that each satellite would only be able to communicate to someone on the ground for 90 seconds before it would be out of range. So that's why Elon Musk and the others need tens of thousands of satellites in order to get ubiquitous coverage because the satellite that you're talking to for 90 seconds is gone and you, another one has to come over and, it, and there's a continuous swap. Where with HAPS, you can get the same benefit as a geosynchronous satellite that stays in one place, but that geosynchronous satellite has to be 24,000 miles 
in orbit above the Earth. Right. So that adds almost at the speed of light, almost two seconds in latency. Yeah. So in other words, if I talk to you, as you've seen reporters who are talking at satellite, one person talks and they have to wait till the other person hears it. Yeah. And so in Internet communications or uh, controlling of drones or any type of uh, targeting system, that doesn't quite work. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, uh, I, I'm familiar with TaxSat voice communications and other other communications uh, streams yeah. over via satellite. And yeah, I mean you, the latency issue is is uh, I think the number one issue really yeah. when you're talking about things like what I used to do in my professional life. Right. Uh, and, go ahead. And that's where that's where the TAC that's where the HAP comes in because the HAP is this happy medium. Uh, there's a a layer of the atmosphere, the stratosphere, where the winds uh, are only between 5 to 20 miles per hour with mm -hmm. maximum gusts of 40 railing. Um, so that makes it an ideal location to put a what would be a geosynchronous platform in the atmosphere uh, that is only 12 miles up. So the, the ability for it to communicate to cell phones, handheld devices, as ideal and you don't have you do not have the limitations of a like spacex which is 112 112 miles in orbit so it's 100 more miles in altitude right so better communications lower latency um the key thing where everybody's having a problem <clears throat> is having the hap stay in one place yeah well that's, yeah that's what that's, one of, that's, that, that's one of my questions is uh but uh, the first question though is uh, okay, we've used high altitude systems for a long time, both uh, in the atmosphere and obviously at the, on or on low Earth orbit and on geosynchronous orbit. Uh, but uh, but are there new capabilities? These new systems that were to, that that the the average citizen is just now starting to become aware of uh, that that we're dealing with. I'm assuming that you guys on attack have identified this uh, uh, this uh, the good stuff that we want that the United States and the people of America would like to have uh, as an operational technology. What are those? Well, we're, we are in a, we're in a race. We're in a race with, uh, we're, we're like in another space race with, uh, with, with China, uh, Europe, yeah. uh, all the other countries, Saudi Arabia is putting tons of money into development of different groups. Uh, the Chinese are heavily in operation of it. And what's really fueled it, is uh, basically intelligent highway programs. Um, what's happened is the, now that we're going to uh, electrical vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, what's happening is, is that we're not getting fuel tax from electric vehicles. Right. So we have a fair tax now that you put more fuel in your car, the more you drive it, the more fuel you burn, your, your, your taxes increase to how, many, how much mileage you go, how right. much your gas mileage your car. With the electric cars, there's no taxation. And so most of the states are quickly seeing millions of dollars per month of road taxes disappearing. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that would be to raise, put taxes on electricity, but that would have an effect across the board on everything else. And so since you can't identify when the guy plugs his car into his house or whether he's heating his house, then you can't really, you can't separate it. And that's something that there's technology we're working on in that as well that mm -hmm. we hope to have in a couple of years. But the for the intelligent highway system, self-driving cars 
uh, they can't see around corners, some corners. If right. There's a hill in the way. Um, flagman standing in the road telling the car to go on the wrong side of the road and drive against traffic. And then, you know, it, self-driving cars have yet to be able to figure that out. So okay. with the intelligent driving system, intelligent highway system, we're looking at putting LIDAR systems at, at blind turns and, and feed that information back into cars, as well as being able to monitor uh, how much the electric cars drive per month and being able to then tax the electric car owner for the, for the road taxes. Yeah, the gasoline cars are already paying tax, but the electric cars aren't. So yeah, it has have to have some way to be a fair tax base. In order to do that, in the United States, we have a total of 179,000 towers currently in the United States that we're using for for 4G and 5G. Okay. Uh, most of them are being upgraded to 5G. We need in order to to have enough cell towers in the United States in order to the coverage that we need. We need mm -hmm. 850,000 additional towers. Oh, wow. And China needs far more than that. And so does India. And so do all the, these other countries. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the United States, we've determined that just for the permit process for 850,000 towers, for the time that it's taken for to get to 179,000 towers, would take us 212 years. So can't get there from here right yeah yeah, yeah. so long time yeah so each one of the haps at altitude can replace the equivalent of 100 cell towers okay so basically you have um, a large site on ground with your links going mm -hmm. so instead of having small bits of 5g equipment spread out every basically five to ten five miles Mm -hmm. um, you have one big site every 100 miles going up to a half, and then yeah. the half can then bring down. The coverage is better too because you're coming from top down, so you're not having interference from trees, hills, you know, earth that absorbs the right. radio frequencies. Yeah, it's it's like being on orbit, direct line of sight. Yeah, you know, so you, yeah. you have much better. Reception. And it's and and it's only 12 miles. And the right. interesting thing about it is, is the first uh, say five miles of that. There's no moisture in the air. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't affect the radio signals. Yeah, exactly. So, so we only really have to go six miles. But we're, but we're basically talking uh, airspace wise above 60,000 feet. 60 to 65,000. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. There's not, there's not a whole lot of aircraft that are flying up there. There's not a whole lot of aircraft that they're flying. It's, um, it's going to be, it's not rated right now, but it's going to be what's called, um, upper part e right but upper part exactly. e hasn't been established yet so mm -hmm. the stratosphere is really just a uncontrolled wild west right now right now does this change uh a lot of people were uh, uh talking about how the u.s doesn't really have sovereignty at the altitude the chinese balloon was at uh that's not technically it, correct when it's, you look at it's look at it's, airspace definition science scientific applications and non-scientific applications have been transversing over countries uh, without any issues for decades. Right. Um, I mean, we've lost we've we've lost probably two to three hundred balloons since we started launching them. 
know, in the U.S. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there was just one uh, a few months ago. There were two a few months ago that were uh, launched that went from uh, near uh, Los Alamos. And uh, they ended up over the Gulf of Mexico, going over multiple countries in Central America, mm-hmm. over the Pacific. And then eventually they ended up in Hawaii. <laughs> what was their uh, de- intended destination, though? The intended destination was Hawaii. They were trying oh, okay. to steer them, but they had to go all the, you know, they're trying to ride air currents. Right. You know, and so, and then uh, uh, they, uh, <laughs> they launched two. And both of them ended up going completely different directions, but they, they both ended up near where they were supposed to go. And that's the, that's the challenge. You know, uh, one, of, uh, one of the reasons I'm glad I, you decided that you could come on the show, uh, because, uh, uh, maintaining station, uh, or, or, you know, maintaining a, a, an orbital station of, a, of along a small, of a small circumference, you know, so that you have the appearance of one, one cell tower, uh, yeah. in effect, effectively, uh, and, uh, and maintaining altitude. So maintaining over the geographic location, your desire to do and maintaining the altitude. I mean, that, that is a, a challenge that balloonists have been dealing with for <laughs> decades. And you just touched on my main concern. And, and, and I think the Chinese balloon highlighted it once again. Uh, and, and the other three that they, that the government really doesn't want to talk about <laughs> what they shot down. I suspect they were experiments of some site, some sort or scientific uh, but, uh, so, so has, have those two problems been solved by these new high altitude platforms that we're talking about? Uh, th- that is, they're getting closer. There are lots okay. of technology that people are trying, lots of implementations. And that's one of the reasons you're seeing a lot more things in the air, right? Because everybody's doing tests mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're trying to work on these systems. They send them up, they, they see if they work, uh, Nine out of ten times it doesn't work. Right. Well, we haven't, two, we, we haven't had any great success yet, yeah. but there's there's promise. Okay. Yeah the um, the balloon that that uh, was from China looks if you follow its flight path, um, it looks like they lost control of it somewhere after it uh, left mainland China and hit the. Um, hit into the Arctic Ocean. Yeah. Up by Alaska. I think yeah. that's where they lost control of it. That's what it looks like. Um, yeah, because it's track after that coming down from Alaska and then over to the yeah. East Coast. So it's very, very familiar to an old aviator like me. Yeah, it just it's it just started fi- it was just going, stream. <laughs> it was going with the jet streams. Yeah. yeah it was just yeah, it was just lost. Jet stream. And and NORAD NORAD by itself um, had been monitoring it and it, it, it wasn't transmitting. It was dead. Right. You know, it was just a dead object floating. Um, it might have still had some um, flight control systems trying to, you know, navigate it, but there was no control stuff left. It was probably trying to go back to wherever it was supposed to be staying. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, the whole I idea think that's was why to... it, uh, it maintained station for a, a day or so over a particular area in Montana. And even even then, that I mean, if you look at the plots, it's that's probably the best that we've ever gotten with balloon so far. I mean, most yeah. of them are, are lost. We had one. Uh, there was there was one that was launched from where was it on nine twenty two last year, and that was a really unfortunately we had a really bad one. That and that was um, Fort Sumter, 
launched the, the payload there, got to 125,000 and it lost control of it. But even worse than that, um, when they went to uh, the automatic termination to bring the payload back uh, by parachute, um, the system failed. So we dropped it from 125,000 feet. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And then the balloon, the balloon kept going, and it slowly descended uncontrolled. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, for for a good bit. This happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the my estimate as to what happened with the the other balloons that were shot down. There's a stratospheric research situation uh, station that is used um, for the European Space Agency, mm-hmm. and they launch about 500. 500 to 550 of, of these launches per year. And they normally drift uh, from uh, Finland. They normally drift and they go over the Arctic Ocean mm-hmm. or the North Atlantic. Uh, and they, depending on the winds, they go north or they go straight or they go south. Right. Um, and so the payloads from there are fairly large. There's radio telescopes. There's all types of options. Mm-hmm. Um monitoring of uh, solar winds, uh, radiation, um, sampling of atmospheric uh, layers at that point. Uh, There's a lot of research that's been done looking for changes in the stratosphere from uh, all the rocket launches that have happened with both moisture content and other types of, uh, I guess, exhaust or pollution, as you want to put it, and how it might be affecting uh, stratospheric currents. And, and some of these are big payloads and some of them are small payloads. But typically what happens is, is once they get over the land again, uh, mm-hmm. the payloads are dropped by parachute okay. and remote areas. They're usually re- recovered. Um, and then the, the balloons typically um, start to deflate and they usually will go out over the Pacific or crash somewhere in Canada or, you know, they're, they have no real weight to them. Right. Yeah. And so my guess is, is what they shot down were just after the payloads were dropped. Okay. They were just yeah. stratospheric science balloons that were probably coming from the European Space Agency. Wow. It's, uh, it's fascinating. They drift over us all the time. Yeah. It's fascinating to talk to somebody that's been monitoring all this stuff. And uh, so, well, so to, go ahead. Yeah. It, it, what really surprised me is when they were saying, well, we, they might be extraterrestrial. <laughs> and and I, that just really cracked me up. I was like, wow, for one, how can a balloon enter the atmosphere? That's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, well, you know, they kept putting out information about one of them that it was uh, like uh, hexagonal in shape or, yeah. like, or octagonal uh, in shape. Uh, and, uh, I think it even, one of the descriptions, even like a metallic looking option, uh, uh, object, uh, uh, you know, which, which the balloon materials yeah. are, are silvery, you know, whitish silvery type. They're, they're, most of the time. Yeah. yeah. They're trying everything. They're trying mylar. They're, they're yeah. trying different shapes to be able to work on control stuff. I mean, there's, you know, it's, so, so it's not just the military that's working on this though, right? Oh no, no. It's a, I mean, these, oh, I've it's heard a, some big name companies are, are oh, trying to oh, come up with yeah. this. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did reports. We had a, the TAC did a, um, a whole report on HAPS looking at the communications part and you've got 
Uh, you have Google, you have Facebook, you have uh, uh, Northrop Grumman, you have Boeing, you have Airbus, uh, you have uh, three aerospace companies in Europe. Um, I can't imagine how many are, Japan. Japan had a $12.5 million program, but they had were testing on it. South Korea spent hundreds of millions of dollars so far in their HAP programs. I mean, it, it's pretty much global. There's not a lot going on south of the equator. Uh, Australia's got a program that's going, but Australia's been working with Airbus on their program. And uh, the Airbus program is, is rather interesting. To, uh, no one ever hears about, about the Airbus program. They have what's called Zephyr. <clears throat> and Zephyr is a very lightweight, because when you get to the stratosphere, there's, the atmosphere is at 1%. Right. <clears throat> so the density isn't there. Mm. So in order to fly there, you have to have extremely big wings with a lot of lift. Right. So you'd have a stall speed in regular atmosphere of about four mile an hour. Mm. <laughs> so the um, Airbus is, has built uh, what they call their Zephyr. Boeing built one too. Boeing sort of backed away from the program for the time being. They're just sort of waiting. Mm. Um, but Airbus is, is active. Uh, the DOD is, is put money into it. Uh, Australian government, uh, Saudi, and it's a 245-foot flying wing. Wow. With, with basically 27-foot diameter propellers. Solar-powered? Solar-powered. Solar All the wings are solar energy. The entire yeah. craft only weighs 400 pounds. Yeah, that, uh, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, uh, the, one of the tricky parts would be the takeoff and getting it up through the high wind Areas oh, and that atmosphere. that is that is the problem. That is the yeah. problem. It takes um, uh, almost an entire day to slowly circle the altitude. Right. And um, any winds that it encounters, it has to have ideal conditions to get up there. And even worse, it has to have ideal conditions coming down, which is very hard when you're trying to set altitude duration records. You really can't choose when you're coming down. <laughs> and so. Well, they, well, why, they've lost. Why wouldn't it just be able to stay up indefinitely if it's solar powered? Well, that, that's the problem. Uh, they're, they, they've reached um, 29 days is their longest okay. so far. Um, well, you have a lot of things that, that are happening. You've got, you've got the solar power, but then you have you know, the nighttime you have to carry through. And you also have a problem of you have to store that energy. And you got to store that energy at basically 70 below zero temperatures mm -hmm. and right. the efficiency of batteries at, at that out at that temperature is very poor right so it's it's they're working on it you know it's one of these things well if we heat the battery we get more storage but wait a minute if we heat the battery we use more power you know and, and you're going to use more weight too yeah and more weight every yeah. everything starts you know so they're, they're we've got the 20 they've gotten to 29 days Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad-free. Not a member yet? Try it for $1.